This is the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. Welcome to episode 30 of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. My name is Burke Drew, and I'll be your host. This is our second annual Unpub recap episode. I'll be joined shortly by some of our guild members who attended Unpub 7. They'll share their experiences and what they learned this year. We hope you enjoy the episode. So here we are with uh, Adam Skelding. Hey, Adam, how you doing? Hey, Burke, how you doing? I'm doing good. good. Yeah. So we're here to talk a little bit about uh, Unpub 7. And uh, so what was your Unpub like this year? Well, my Unpub 7 was a little bit different from the last uh, two years I went. And that's uh, partially because I only had a table for half the time, a tag team table. And then uh, the other half of the time, I ended up working uh, for Panda, who I uh, worked for, Panda Game Manufacturing. We had a booth there because we were one of the sponsors. Um, but uh, overall, I had, a, I had a really good experience for the halftime I was at my table um, showing my games. So which game was that that you were showing this year? Uh, well, since I kind of slacked off uh, these last couple months leading up towards Unpub and didn't quite get any of my other designs developed to the point where I could bring them, I brought Explorers. Uh, back with me this year with some pretty big changes to it, which just sort of happened in the uh, weeks leading up towards uh, the Unpub. Okay. So what what sort of changes did you uh, introduce just prior to, uh, to Unpub? Uh, the big change was there's always been a battle to try to get more, get everything, all the decisions to be more important. And I finally think I got over that hump and made it so all about the cards that people draft in the game and some of the decisions that they make really do have a little more weight to them um and that just makes the game a little bit uh, a little bit more interesting i think for everyone because you're paying more attention to what the other people have um you have to be more careful about what cards you get uh, those sort of things and so i think um uh and this was the first time i'd uh, shown these changes at mpub and they went over pretty good but i got some really good feedback and i think i know ways to uh, keep on Im- improving so you said also you were there as part of your job. So did you get to do anything interesting or did you just man the booth to answer questions of designers as they came up? Uh, we did a lot of, uh, did a lot of, uh, manning the booth, talking to a lot of people, designers, publishers, uh, the other, there's a couple of other game manufacturers there we talked to. Uh, it was good to meet some of the other industry people. And, uh, it was, it was really good to kind of see things from that half of it, from the publishing or from the, actually the manufacturing half of it uh one other thing we did too is we uh some of the panda people had a a question and answer session about the manufacturing process which which was really nice and then also we did a breakout session uh myself and uh my uh one of my colleagues heidi uh zimmerman also panda we did a breakout session about a new guidebook that we've uh, published uh, design guidelines uh which is all about uh preparing your files for uh print uh, it may not be quite in the realm of the designers, but uh, definitely the graphic designers and the layout people and the artists uh, found it uh, really helpful and is uh, pretty good information to have, I believe. And most importantly, it's going to make my job easier, hopefully. <laughs> That's awesome. We got to see the new document, uh, I guess, last week. And yeah, it's pretty nice. It's really nice uh, nice to have that information laid out. I mean, even as a designer, kind of knowing that information is really good. You know, if you're self-publishing, help you interface with your graphic designer. Uh, down the road. So did you notice anything, so like any new trends this year as far as you know, games that were being brought to the table? Uh, I did notice some new trends this year. Can't say I'm 
not completely on board yet, but uh, apparently the the roll and write trend is uh, in full force or nearly full force. So uh, I don't know. It's not quite doing it for me yet, but maybe I got to try a couple more games and uh, and and see how they uh, see how they turn out. I know one of them that was there was the one from the from the flea poles. Did you try that one yet? I didn't. No, I didn't. I actually talked with uh, Matt and Ben for a little bit about, uh, or was it Matt or Ben? I can't remember. I talked to one of them about it uh, a little bit. Dicey Waters, I think, was the name yeah. of it. <laughs> so they got a good name for it. But uh, I talked to them a little bit about it, and uh, they seemed pretty excited about it. And some of the other people who had played it did seem excited about it. So, uh, you know, great. If it works, it works. So Yeah, it looked, uh, from the pictures I saw of it um, on Twitter, it looked uh, pretty meaty, you know, for, for a rolling right game. So I'm, I'm interested was, in giving it a try. Yeah, there, were, there was a ton of information on those little tiny sheets. So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. So in the in between the time that you spent playtesting your own game and working for Panda, did you get a chance to make your rounds and do some playtesting for other designers? Uh, I did. I played a couple games for other designers. Not too much. I didn't have a lot of leftover time, I think. But uh, I got to play a couple games here and there. Uh, one game I played, which I thought was pretty interesting. It wasn't quite there. It was a game where you play blindfolded. Oh, okay. And it's, it was called, uh, oh my gosh, Night. Oh, I don't remember the name of it. I'm so sorry if you guys are out there listening. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it either. I'll, I'll make sure to add a note about it in the, in the show notes. But, uh, but go ahead. Yeah, it was, it was pretty neat because you're blindfolded, four players, and you're basically playing four characters that are trying to escape from, I guess you could say like a Michael Myers or something from the woods and uh, not get, uh, eaten or you know killed by this michael Merritt, this hunter <laughs> character and the whole board is a grid that has little trees that happen in between the grids and little kind of sort of indentations where your your sort of your round uh peg which represents your character fits and so you actually feel from where your peg is whether north south east west whether there's openings whether there's trees in your way and you communicate this information to the other two or three people who are also blindfolded and so it's sort of mentally in your head from their information and when you know you have to sort of build a map of uh, where you are on this uh where you are in the woods i guess and and eventually you have to try to make it to a car so you can uh, get in the car and uh, drive away so uh yeah pretty fascinating not not quite there all the way but i think definitely the most unusual concept i think i've seen at any of the unpubs i've been to this is my third unpub yeah that's pretty cool so uh any other thoughts that you want to share about um, things that you saw or did at Unpub? I know one more thing I need to share. Okay. I went and actually the first when I first got there, within the first hour I got there, kind of before things got started, I went over and saw Mr. Trash Wheel. <laughs> what so is Mr. that Trash was Wheel? awesome. Mr. Trash Wheel is this contraption they've built coming down the Jones Fall River, which catches trash and fishes it out of the Jones Fall River. And Mr. Trash Wheel's got a Twitter account and tons of followers, and he's really funny. <laughs> and I got to see Mr. Trash Wheel, and it was awesome. But this guy, he's pulled just hundreds of tons of trash out of the Jones Fall before it reaches the Chesapeake Bay. So that was pretty cool. So Maybe get, not the highlight, but it was definitely the highlight of the non-unpub stuff I did in Baltimore. Okay, so it's come for the unpub and stay for the Trash Wheel. <laughs> That's right, Mr. Trash Wheel. Check it out, kids. He's got a Twitter account. I think it's Mr. Trash Wheel. All right, so. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find that and add that to the show notes. Maybe I'll Excellent. start following Mr. Trash Wheel. <laughs> you need to. <laughs> if there's nothing else, I guess uh, we'll, we'll say no, goodnight. No, this is good. Yes, this has been a great uh, Unpub recap. 
<laughs> from uh, games that you play blindfolded to uh, design manuals to Mr. Trash Wheel. Mr. Charm City's got it all. Yeah, yeah. So you know, add it to your uh, to your travel plans next year, folks. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing, but next year when you go, you're be like, "Man, I think I better go see that." I gotta Mr. go trash see that wheel. trash wheel. <laughs> 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 all right, thank you, sir. All right, thanks, Burke. So uh, we're here with Daniel Solis. Hey, Daniel. Hello, hello. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, recovering from convention travel a little bit. So if my voice sounds a little bit hoarse, that's probably why. Yeah, that'll that'll tend to get you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so as you know, we're here to talk a little bit about um, our experiences. Well, not my experiences. I wasn't <laughs> there this year, but your experiences at Unpub 7 this year. So what sort of things stood out about your trip this year? Uh, this year was probably, uh, actually probably my most successful on pub, uh, um, for a long time. Uh, I, I think a couple of years in a row, I brought, I brought games to Unpub that were a bit of a stretch for my usual design, uh, style. And, uh, as a result, of course, you know, when you're, when you're stretching your boundaries, you're not always going to hit something that like out of the park or whatever. So, right. uh, this year I brought a, a, another mix of things, but I feel like my, the past few years of experience have taught me which games are best for Unpub. Um, and which uh, which games I should hold off for like Sunday morning of Unpub uh, versus Saturday night at Unpub or right. Friday Friday night at Unpub uh, things like that um, are I think uh, really important to, to figure out after a couple a couple years of attending. So uh, the games that I brought with me to Unpub uh, were a uh, kind of a heavy two player game, which uh, I had one couple in mind uh, uh, that came up to me who in particular wanted to play it. So I kind of reserved that for Sunday morning so that we could meet up and have them play that and give me their feedback since that was the kind of game that they usually played. I had, I had, I had a tiny roll and write game called pencil park. Um, that was, uh, kind of the, the hit of the, of the week leading up to unpub because I posted it on Twitter and a lot of people were playing it, um, and showing me their work. And so I was like grading their, (laughs) I was grading their cards and stuff. Um, and, 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 through playing that many, many times, uh, I really streamlined the scoring on that. So that, that worked really well for anyone who came up alone, uh, and wanted something to play. I could sit them down and hot seat them as, as the game was ongoing since it was, since it's a solitaire game. Uh, the, the big game that I had with me was, uh, was Pixel Factory. Uh, that is a co-design with Graham Russell. Uh, okay. and so that has been in development for a long while. Uh, we brought it uh, with us to, uh, or I brought it with me to um, Board Game Geek Con last year. Got a lot of feedback from a developer, from a publisher. And uh, yeah, so it's really, really good. Uh, the the It passed through the Crucible. There was one situation where like uh, a, a pair of parents were sitting down to play and they, uh, they had like two very, very young kids with them that were very grabby. Uh, and, and, and so, like, you know, that's not, not exactly optimal testing, uh, c- conditions. You know, any game would call, could probably falter in, in that situation. Um, but it survived. Uh, right. the, like, all things considered, um, the game wasn't too complicated to follow with all these other things going on. People could take their turns and kind of, and kind of, uh, keep them, keep the game moving. Nothing stalled. Uh, there weren't any huge order of operations questions. Everything just flowed. And that was the case for every one of those tests. So, all in all, it was, I think, a very productive and very good unpub for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, you know, Pixel, 
Uh, Pixel Factory is one that I've seen that you guys get to the table, I think, when in the meetings in Durham, and I have yet to sit down and give it a try. So I'm hoping that in the next uh, couple weeks I can, can uh, play test it with you guys if you bring it out. So we've, we've been saving it for you. We, we, oh, want, okay. we, we want to be just right before you play it. Oh well, yeah. It's, you know, advantage, just wait until the last when it's you know, <laughs> almost a done deal and just kind of swoop in and enjoy everyone else's, uh, you know, labors. <laughs> Did you get a chance to play, uh, any other people's designs this time or are you too busy working on your own? Cause I know well, that's usually what happens is you get, you know, you got to maximize your time at Unpub. Very much so, yeah. I mean, I, I I pay a good a good penny to uh, to make it up there, so it, it's a very much a business expense for me, and and I, I approach it as business. That said, I do want to play more games for other people. It's just I I I am usually exhausted by the end of the day and stuff. So um, I did manage to muster up the energy to play one game uh, that was a uh, dexterity game uh, called Prisoner's Delight. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The, the, photo, the, the pictures of that look really amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, po- I posted some videos for, uh, while I was there because it, it, it is just a wild concept. It, it's it's an actual cake, like a three or you know a, a reproduction of a cake in right. two layers, and every player has uh, 3D uh, laser cut like uh, band saws and fi- <laughs> nail files and little lock picks and things like that, varying sizes and shapes. And the idea is that you're trying to cram all of your bits uh, into this cake and not have them be the most visible thing on the cake. If it's if it's the most visible, then it gets removed. Um, but anything else stays in the cake, and you score based on the size of the thing that you're putting into the cake. Um, it was really, really fun to play when I was completely burned out. I didn't expect to actually have any energy or uh, or anything. But but it was thoughtful too, which was which was a nice thing. It wasn't just it wasn't a complete. Uh, random uh, thing. It was more like um, in the spirit of like Jenga or or um, junk art. Seeing the pictures, that that seems like a really good comparison because you got that same sort of very careful, you know, maneuvering those guys underneath to try to. I, and I guess you were trying to push other people's tools oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So you had said uh, when we started that after you've been what's this? Was it your fourth or fifth year? Gosh, I think it's my fourth. My, it might be my, I'm pretty sure fourth. Okay. So you had, you've been refining what you bring and how you pitch. So what yeah. did you find that you did differently this year versus say last year? Well, uh, last year and all previous years I had brought, uh, I had brought games and I wasn't mindful about when I would bring out, when I would be pitching those games during, during the weekend. Oh, um, okay. what time of day and, 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 um, and to whom, I would be pitching those games. Uh, if I saw couples floating around, I would keep in mind that two-player game uh, that that I had. Uh, I didn't get much play out of that, but but the one one or two sessions that I did get out of it were, were very very fruitful. Uh, and I think that's probably the more important thing is that even if it doesn't get a lot of plays, as long as those plays are very productive and and have good feedback, uh, then then it's worth it. Right. Uh, so so that's what I did differently. I I, I brought. I think I brought more games this year than I have previously, but I was more mindful about when they were brought to the table. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We had a um, small discussion about it uh, um, at the last meeting, and I was curious what you were thinking. Like, what types of games are, are you noticing a trend in the types of games that people are bringing to Unpub? What level of mm. state they're in? I mean, you're you're picking. You're mentioning that you're noticing a difference between the days. 
Like, I would think that for, like, the publisher day, you could bring out stuff that was a bit rougher. What do you think about that as far as the types of games that you saw? Well, I'm, uh, I, I could only take a, a quick glance at anything that was on the tables as I was walking to and from the bathroom or, or grabbing, like, a, a sandwich or something. Uh, so I, I, can't say, I can't say much in detail about what I saw this year, but uh, in the past... Uh, we've had these stories of publishers picking up and signing things on the spot at, at Unpubs previously, and I don't think that was happening this year so much. Um, but perhaps there, there's just perhaps publishers are being a little more cautious, or they're right. taking no, taking notes and following up later. But I, I didn't hear any stories of anyone getting signed or on the spot on the spot this year. Um, there may have been, I just didn't hear about it. As far as things that are being brought. Yeah, I mean, typically what what I would have advised from, based on previous experience was that uh, if you're going to show anything on that publisher date, actually have it be more polished rather than than rougher. Uh, mainly with the idea that you're presenting this as as an oper- as a candidate for publishing, um, and so showing it too early might be counterproductive. Um, if if the publisher is expecting something that's a little bit more polished, then uh, you may be giving them a bad impression because you're kind of using up their time on something that that may not actually come out to anything. But uh, but on Sunday, that that's the time for rough stuff. Like for at least for me, I'll bring out something that that's really rough. Or Saturday night, I I brought out um, a, a little uh, kids game, uh, Kitsune's Tales, about uh, right. uh, mm-hmm. the nine-tailed fox from Japanese myth who's tired of having nine fox tails and instead wants a bunch of animal tails. Uh, so the idea is that you're just drafting these different animal tales, like lizard tales and monkey tales and, and things like that. Um, so, uh, so it was it was very very rough. That was like the loose concept, and I had kind of a kind of a basic outline and some very simple scoring. Um, but it was very rough. But I waited until Saturday night, I think, with uh, with one or two people who I knew uh, were good at like dealing with a game that needed to be uh, revised or iterated a couple times um in between plays uh right. so so that was great and and there was a kid there um, which was really cool so <laughs> testing with the audience is always great yeah i i was thinking about the terms of like the designer day where you'd be play testing with designers but there are also publishers there too so oh yeah keep that yeah. in mind so with other designers yeah you can bring out something pretty rough because we all we all know we know what's up like we know how hard it is and yeah. we know <laughs> nothing's going to really make it through that first play test. Um, yeah, exactly. But. Is there um, any new advice you gleaned this year that you would share with someone who is planning to attend Unpub next year? Uh, if you are attending Unpub next year, um, I I guess following the advice that uh, following the, the the thing that I did this year with tailoring uh, your schedule to suit the energy levels that you can bring to it on the on the uh, time slots that you have available. If you're only doing uh, a half table or a, or a half day, I, th- I forget how, how they set it up, then, then plan your what games you bring accordingly. If it's in the morning, people are probably more fresh than uh, than they would be later in the day. Uh, so if you have something that's a little more complicated or takes about you know two two hours or so, you may get more takers there. But it is a general public a general access uh, convention, so. Anybody can show up, and you have no idea who's, who's going to come in. So, uh, you know, t- uh, having something that is a little more casual and a little more approachable can't hurt. Yeah, like you had with your pencil part. So you yes. can pull that out. That's really good. Um, any other things that you want to share that um, that we haven't talked about so far? About Unpub? Yeah. Or, well, okay, I guess you could go into the general things, but we probably should keep it to Unpub. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, get to know your neighbor. Uh, you, you, you are going to be right next to somebody who's also in the thick of it, and they're going to be t- testing frequently. But um, it's good to have somebody. Um, I, I had Graham Russell in at the con who could take over for my table uh, very briefly while I stepped away to do other stuff. Yeah. Um, so having having someone, anybody, your neighbor or or a partner, to uh, sit at the table while you can just take like five minutes away. I, I really needed that myself. Oh, that sounds like luxury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's fantastic, um, and don't stress out about not being at the table twenty four seven. That that is something I I have realized now that I'm I'm getting a little old for this. Uh, <laughs> that like I used to I used to just go gung ho, no breaks, j- just test as much as possible, and uh, and I realize now that I I'm, I'm not bringing my my full attention to it if I if I strain myself that much. Right. So I I worked hard while I was there, took breaks when I need when, when I needed to and I could. And then I pretty much just went to bed at ten every day. I didn't. I didn't stay up late for anything. Um, no parties or and not that there are parties, but um, I just stay up late going going to that tavern that's across the street or anything. Right. Um, and that's that's me. That's that's how I play. But uh, other people may have. They they may be more night owls than I am. Yeah, I'm 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 very much a morning person. So ten o'clock rolls around, it's time for me to to yeah. get some sleep. So yeah, I get you. Party animals, us. Yeah, woohoo. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Daniel. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Here we are with Drew Hicks. Hey, Drew. How you doing? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could, but, you know, <laughs> no one listens anymore. But <laughs> it's, it's sad. Wow. <laughs> That's an old joke. Come on. That's an old <laughs> joke. <laughs> hey. Yeah, no, I guess. Yeah. But we're not we're not here to talk about me. <laughs> we're here to talk we about you. you. Yeah, yeah. We All right. We're here to talk about you and uh and your experience at Unpub this year. So how was it? Well, I got it was it went really well. I gotta talk about you uh a little bit because I sort of inherited uh inherited the table from you, so you made it possible for me to go, so thanks for that. Oh you're welcome. That was that was awesome. And I managed to uh, actually do the things that passed me suggested. I didn't think about it, actually, uh, is an interesting thing. But to prepare for for this little uh, the bit that we're doing, I uh, went back and listened to our Unpub 6 episode and, like, the things that passed me would have said for me to do. Uh, and I guess I took them to heart because it seemed like uh, I did those things that worked out well. It would have been better if you had listened to them before going to Unpub, but as long as you listened to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's well, it worked matters. out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> One way or the other. So, what, so were those, um, what were those things that you did? So the the major thing that I did was made sure to uh, – I, I kind of did this last year, but it wasn't as – I don't know. It wasn't as distinct a difference between the games that I brought because Access was a much shorter game at that time. Was I brought a, a long game and a short game so that anytime someone came to the table, they would there'd be something that I could have them play, regardless of what kind of experience they were prepared for. The second thing that I did that was really important was I made the game look a lot better and cleaner, and that resulted in a lot more sort of interest and a, a lot less time spent sort of, I don't know, cl- going over things on the components that were unclear uh, these types of things. So just having having all of the components be super clean, even if I needed to make changes, making them in such a way that like it didn't, it just looked better. Like you know, I'm I'm kind of a 
I don't know what the word to use for this would be, like kind of a hacker, I guess, in terms of board game design. I tend to just kind of draw on stuff and make components like on the spot. And last year, the game that I brought to the version of Access I brought to Unpub was just index cards with like pen. And it wasn't mechanically super different. But in terms of being able to get people to play it, get people into the theme, everything was that was really, really important. So I took that lesson to heart definitely from last year, and that improved my experience drastically. And then the third thing was just get caffeine and don't go to sleep. Um, because <laughs> like at the end of the convention day, you get to actually play stuff with other designers and get sort of insight into their process. And since... I don't know. That's like a really, really beneficial part of the event. And last year I didn't participate in it as much as I would have liked. And this year I did. But the result was that I was uh, walking dead for a couple days after. Yeah, that, uh, is, that is so rough because it's such a long day. And it's then, really long. And then, okay, now let's hang out and talk design until, you know, whenever. Which is great because, you know, how often do you get to do that? But man... It makes the next day so much tougher. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But, I mean, I would urge anyone that's attending Unpub to, like, tough it out. I don't know. Like, that's a really important part of It's a really useful part of the event, especially if you're... You know, I actually think either way. I was going to say, especially if you're more looking to, like, refine your game design than you are looking to, like, pitch the game. But I think either way, that's a huge amount of time that you're going to get, like, really like a really different set of eyes on what you brought. And you're also going to get to, you know, socialize with other people, play their things. And that's important because then people know that you're a person and not an avatar. So yeah. I think that, especially, that, especially if you don't have a, like a, a community of designers, um, you know, locally that having access to, I mean, it's good. We have one, but it's good to have access to these guys at Unpub. But especially if you don't have that, being able to put your design in front of someone with a designer's um, perspective can really help break through some things sometimes. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the first play from, from anybody is really important, figuring out what kind of things are intuitive and what things are sort of sore thumbs that don't seem to click with people. And once you've played a game a few times with it, even if you have a really dedicated, awesome game design group like we do uh, at GDFNC on Twitter, uh, GDFNC.com, Oregon Beat Guild. <laughs> Even if you have an awesome group like that, once everyone's played your game, you're not going to get that moment again. Like, you'll never... Stuff is always going to be automatically more intuitive to everybody in the group that's played it. So you can't really get that first impression again. Um, so right. it's important to be able to get that from people that have sort of game design sensibility and for people that don't, right? But I don't know. That's a unique thing that Unpub can kind of provide that... Uh, even a super regular game design group usually kind of can't. Yeah, that's a really good point I hadn't thought about is after you've shown the design once to the group, you know, you kind of move on and everyone has moved past that moment. But it's good to come back and, re you know, to mm. touch base again because when your design is published, it's going to hit, you know, when your game is published, it's going to hit a, a the player and that they're going to have that first blush um, impression too. So it's good to keep... Yeah, yeah to keep your finger on that pulse. That's a good idea. And it's really important not to be the guy that's like, well, it worked well with my, my, my friends, with my playtest group. It worked, so I don't know why it's not working for you. It's like, yeah. well, <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of important. So, 
Right, absolutely. So were you pretty much uh, locked down to your table for the whole thing, or were you able to spend a little bit of time looking around and without going into the after hours, you know, like during the normal business hours of Unpub, checking out other people's designs? On Saturday, I was absolutely slammed. Uh, I was playing, I played, I think, six full games of, of Access on Saturday, which is ludicrous yeah because it's an hour and a half two hour game like that's i don't know i I guess i can't have played six it must have been like five and i did a few walkthroughs of like the first few turns with different groups so it was a huge amount of gameplay and like i didn't have any time to get up or do really anything so yeah i missed out on a lot of stuff that day but then on sunday it slowed down a little bit people weren't as eager to play uh that game and the other game i had was tall order which was super short and just silly so in between games of that i was able to go and walk around and take a look at a few different things watched uh i watched ruth play uh my father's work which is really really interesting design that's uh tc petty's game that's got sort of a, a storytelling app in it where uh the sort of circumstances on the board change based on what the, the players do across sort of generations of a mad scientist family yeah um yeah yeah so i got to see a couple cool things happen in that game that made me i didn't want to watch too much of it because i don't know like spoilers i guess it seems like there's that kind of thing that can happen but uh i got i got to see a couple interesting things happen there and i don't know like overall this one thing that struck me about this year was that all of the games like i said something similar to this on the last year's podcast that the games were more sort of polished looking than i expected them to be but that was even more true, I think, this year. Like, almost every game that I saw had, like, if it didn't look like it was ready to just be published, it had some really striking, like, visual thing going on. Even if it still was obviously a prototype, like, the visual style, the types of icons that are being used as different things. Really, everything had some something like that that, I don't know, like, makes that seem like that's even more of an important thing to do if you're bringing a game, so... Yeah, I think I, I had wondered about this because, you know, with so you've got so many designers all in one space, and you're although it sounded like this year maybe the uh, attendance was a little bit better than maybe last year. Does that seem true to you? Maybe, um, definitely on Sunday. Like it, it still slowed down on Sunday, but it wasn't um, last year on on Sunday. It was a lot more empty. It was still pretty. Um, I don't know. Still, still pretty active, pretty hopping on uh, on Sunday this year. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it did seem a little bit better and better attended, I suppose. So I guess you know you have that you know you're trying to get as many playtests in as possible. So having a game that catches the playtester's eye as they walk past your table, I mean, it, it seems like it couldn't do anything but help. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I wonder with sort of the mix of you know, playtesters that come through in an unpub type event, having something that looks a little more published might be more palatable to them than someone who's used to going through uh, and playtesting stuff that's rougher. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that, that's super, I don't know, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to me, I guess. It seems like, maybe I'm off base, but it seems like sort of it's way more difficult to bring something in a rougher state still, and... I don't know. Like, obviously, the Unpub isn't just a game that, or just a uh, Unpub isn't just an event that is supposed to benefit designers. Like, the playtesters are there; they're doing something that helps designers, but they're also supposed to have like a good time and do things that they want to do. If everyone was bringing stuff that was really janky and in a really rough state, it wouldn't be something that would attract as many people, I suppose. So that makes sense. But at the same time, like a lot of the time, a 
design that's in that kind of state is what I want to get the most the most feedback on. And it seems like you couldn't really get away with break. Like you would have to put a lot of you front load effort onto the user interface um, in order to get it to a point where you could really show it there and be successful. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, you might have to make it appear like it's further along in the process than it is <laughs> to get people to come to your table. But then do you set them up for being disappointed when it's horribly broken? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, you know what? I think you do. Uh, I think when they come to the table and sit down to play it, you got them. They're there now. So yeah. then what you're going to say is, okay, here's this game. Here's the things I need feedback on. I know that I need feedback on these things. Pay attention to them. And then when they see that the thing's broken, it's not like, uh, like oops, like I bit into some gristle or something. It's right. like, oh, that's the thing I was supposed to be looking for. That's what I'm doing now. So I think that's a, a pretty useful way of doing it. It's just, I don't know, I don't enjoy that part of building the prototype as much as I do the rest of it. So. Well, I mean, yeah, that's it's true. It's much easier just to draw things out on uh, <laughs> <laughs> index cards everywhere. On index cards and trying index to go through and, and yeah, work work out some kind of graphics program to make it look slick, or go the extra expense and have like a prototype printed up or something crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's just a tough balance because there's such a mixed audience. I think that's what makes it a challenge. I feel like some of the unpub, like the unpub minis that we do, that it feels like that rougher um, d- uh, prototype is okay there or works better there for some reason. I may be fooling myself, but it feels like that's true. Uh, maybe. I know I've brought rougher stuff to uh, unpub mini, but I actually think it might. I don't know. Like I've seen people bring rougher stuff there, and it might just be because it's a smaller local event, and like you get people coming to them that are i don't i don't know i don't want to say i doubt their commitment to to sparkle, sparkle motion but uh but you get people from from like the local area that aren't going to fly out to baltimore or drive up to baltimore to to do this because they're just not they're not that deep into it yet so i think that might be part of it but i also think that unpub being as big as it is you also get more maybe dedicated playtesters that kind of know what to expect and maybe fewer people wandering in maybe not i don't really understand that part of who comes to those things, but uh, well, I, mean, I know Atomic Empire, like, that's a game store. You have people just kind of walking around, wandering. Uh, like, you have a kind of a bunch of random local traffic to that that uh, maybe they're not sure what to expect from the event. Whereas I don't think that at Baltimore Convention Center, you have people coming in like, what is this as much? Well, that's true. If they went in, other than we have seen in past events where there are other events going on at the convention center and we get some crossover traffic, but you're right, if if they're showing up there specifically for the Unpub event, they've done some, probably done some research, they had to put forth a a bit more effort to get there, so maybe maybe they're a little bit more informed on what they're getting into. I don't know. Yeah, they're less likely to be... Uh, surprised when they're playing something that where, where some part of it doesn't work or where something is kind of a little looser than it would be in a game that you would buy off the shelf. So, okay. so were there any other things that stood out about Unpub that uh, you want to share? Uh, this year? Um, well, I don't know. Uh, to me, it felt pretty similar to last year. I was just better prepared and there were more people. Uh, it did feel like that was the case. So overall, I don't know. I had a, had a great experience. I'm looking forward to next year. 
and I don't know that I would really do anything differently. Maybe in the, like the lead up to the event, I would be a little bit more active on social media, kind of trying to poke people. But I, you know, I did a lot more of that last year, and this year I kind of didn't, and it didn't seem to make that big of a difference for me. So, like, I also had I don't want to like knock it. I also had a bunch of people that um, played my game last year that came back and played it this year, and um, also brought other people. Uh, to the table, so uh, perhaps it was just a delayed payoff uh, <laughs> from from last year. But oh, that's um, really cool. Yeah, I sort of got some because I mean, Unpub is a, a group of people. Like people are going to that event year after year, so it's it's cool that the game sort of seems like it's got a couple fans, and it's definitely helpful if those people, like when those people bring buddies and and send other people over to play it. So yeah, no, that was that was a a uh, change from last year that I, I guess I didn't expect, but it was pleasantly surprised by. No, oh, that's that's really awesome. That's good to hear. Well, thanks so much for your time, and look forward to doing Unpub with you next year. Yeah, awesome. All, All right. right. So we're here with uh, Graham Russell. How you doing, Graham? Pretty good. How are you? Doing pretty good. So, did you have a good time at Unpub this year? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. It, it was it was an interesting experience being there. I uh, I worked with Daniel Solis on Pixel Factory, and we showed that a little bit. Uh, but mostly my presence there, I really wanted to get around and, and talk to people and see the sort of things they're working on. And that was really, really exciting and fulfilling. Okay. So what sort of things did you see as you walked around the hall? Man, I... There, there were really in. I think this year's Unpub is best defined by the level of ambition you saw in designs. Really? Um, yeah, I think people are. It, I mean, there were there was a little bit of everything there, but you get the sense that designers are responding to this sort of saturation we're seeing uh, in in the industry by trying to stand out by really thinking outside the box. You know, you had uh, Prisoner's Delight, which was this game that had, like, specially molded and, like, cut pieces, uh, which is not the sort of thing you'd see in a prototype. Uh, I mean, you saw Nyctophobia, which was this thing where it's like, okay, we want to make the experience of just seeing people play it so different that you have to pay attention. Uh, Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember see, I've seen pictures of well not I don't think I saw pictures of Nyctophobia. Um I heard it described but yeah. definitely the uh Prisoner's Delight was a very striking prototype. It was very interesting looking. Yeah, and even, you know, outside of those you saw like a prototype with an app. You saw a a game that was kind of there. It was over in the vendors area, but there was like a yard game that was basically unpub is like all right, we're going to kickstart this thing. Uh, you want to come like check out this playtest? It it was interesting to see people stretch in that way. But of course, there were interesting games that weren't stretches too. Right, so more of a uh, more traditional fare there as well. Yeah. Any others that you saw? I've I've heard about both of those. I was curious if you saw anything else that was particularly striking. Yeah. So people who know me know I design a lot of social game stuff. So in particular, I really tried to track down and see what people were doing in that sort of space. There's a there's a game I played there that actually is already on Kickstarter now called Crosstalk, which is this hmm. 
seems on its face to be just like a, a quick uh, Codames knockoff. But the idea is instead of like having your clues that you give about your words, you are both giving clues about the same thing. And you secretly write down a one-word clue to your team, but then you take turns saying public clues for the same thing. So you're trying to make your clues cryptic enough so that the other team, with the clue that you don't know what it is, but it's probably not the same clue, uh, so they don't get it. But with your secret clue, your team can get it just by putting that together with what you're saying. It's an interesting dynamic and... You know, really accessible in sort of the same way as Codenames, but I think it plays differently enough that that I think it could be really interesting. Yeah, this is interesting. It's kind of a little bit difficult to visualize, but I think right, yeah, uh, but yeah, I think I get where you're going with it. Yeah, so, you write down a clue. Uh, each each player in the team, whoever's giving the clues, you write down a clue, you give it to your team, and then you take turns saying out loud a clue, and then the other team gets to guess after your clue. So you can't make it too good of a clue because you don't have the next shot at it. It's it's really interesting to to dance around it. Like uh, when I was playing, one of the things was Yellow Submarine, and it's like, okay, well, we we can't use you can't use proper nouns, so you can't say Beatles or anything like that. But right. it's like, okay, what what can I write down here? Um, but the secret clue I gave was psychedelic. So I knew if I could get them into like, okay, I can give public clues about the Beatles, but they're never going to like, that's not going to help enough to get them to the right thing. But yeah, it, it's that interesting, it's that interesting thing where you really are trying to read based on what your opponent is giving clues about what their clue is so that you can better like obscure it for them. Uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's a party game area that I haven't seen before, and that's interesting. So in, in addition to people stretching out with their designs into different areas, did you notice any uh, changes in how designers were trying to attract playtesters to their tables, or was it pretty much like it was last year? Unpub itself did a good job of kind of setting up a system for letting people know that you're you're wanting playtesters. They had little table signs with little noodles you could put up like a <laughs> mailbox. That was pretty cool. Uh, but the thing I, I think just as a, uh, culturally, I suppose, uh, the way designers tended to go at this, you didn't see a lot of long games. People were mostly trying. I mean, there were a couple, but you saw way more 15 to 45-minute games and fewer hour plus games because most of these people had tables there last year and it's way easier to get people to sit down to a short game than a long game. Um, And as a result, the long games had a lot of people too, because there were fewer of them. So it was easier to fill those tables. It it was a good, it was a good balance. Well, that's interesting. That's, that's good that, that the long games were getting uh, ignored because there were so many uh, shorter games. Cause I know there's, you know, there's always that push and pull between play testers coming. They want to see, they, they want to come and help, but also there are prizes involved, and that always kind of push it, pushes a different thing. Where yeah, more, if I can get more playtests in, I have more chances at more prizes, which is more more good. Yeah, I think <laughs> Unpub itself is a game that needs playtesting, right? <laughs> They're still balancing it out, uh, changing the variables, and and I think that's that's an interest. I think it should always be like that. Keep improving, but you know, always be ready to try to fix it. I, I feel like there might be something uh, to do about that. If there's, I, I don't know. 
what, what's the game design solution to that? Give more credits for long games? How do you define them? Yeah, that, yeah. that yeah. might be more trouble than it's worth. I, I, I feel like there weren't rows of designers over in the edge that were having trouble this time. Um, it really felt like we were at capacity most of the time, and that was good. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I know I, a couple people had problems getting, at least on, I, I don't know if it changed on Sunday or not, but I know last year a couple of designers from our group had a little bit of trouble getting playtesters on that last day. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, that's probably a little bit of a slower day too, but it's good to hear that it was, uh, that it was packed. Um, yeah. And the weather didn't keep people away. I, I mean, it definitely felt like there wasn't quite as much walk-in, but the consistent crowd of people who were there all the time filled the tables most of the time, and that was good. Given what you've seen this year, yeah. if you go next year and taking a design, what sort of things will you do differently next year, or, or would you do anything differently? You know, I will probably bring a solo design back again again this year was was something of a break it did test pixel factory but uh i i think i i really liked how much i got to talk to people though as much as it's a great place to bring your design to really get tested there's there's so many designers and publishers and you know even even you know some dedicated playtesters in that room that you want to talk to those people you want to share ideas with them that it's almost more valuable to attend than it is to present. Uh, so that, that's, that's, it's really tempting to, to maybe do something else. I may do a tag table or something. Uh, but yeah, it's, this was so helpful. I, I got so much more design progress out of just talking to people and hanging out than actually testing the game. It's hard to say. I'll be there in some capacity. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a really good point to bring up because when you're, when you have a table, and you're sitting down with the design, and you you really want to maximize the amount of play tests that you get in, but and it's easy to get tunnel vision and not realize yeah. that there is also value to being able to steal those moments where you're talking to other designers that are in the room, where you can kind of talk shop and exchange ideas, and it might help you get past something that you might not get from t- you know doing another play test. I had breakthroughs for three games I never actually showed uh, that weekend. Uh, just by being there, so well, that's I, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I, I I really last year's, you know, I I did not have a design on the table, so I spent my time as doing a play tester and walking around talking to people, and it was totally worth it. And I'm glad that I that I went. So yeah, I highly recommend it. If you can't get a table, it's I think it's still worth going to be able to meet and talk to people. Absolutely. So any other thoughts on on pub from this year that you want to share? You know. I it was hmm I think the the best day might have even been Friday. You That's see it. everyone especially with designers, you know, Saturday and Sunday it's it's crunch time, it's game day. They have to get out there and and whatever they're focusing on the most, they have to make sure it's working. It really is work. Um it's it's fulfilling fun work, but it's work. Right. Uh Friday was the day off where people are like, "Yeah, I'm noodling around with this idea. Uh you want to check it out?" You know, and, and you sit down and you have those fun conversations with people. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of that in the guild and that, that's great, but there's something about this dedicated, like, no, look, I'll take care of my business tomorrow. This is what, I don't know, let's, let's try, let's try this out for a second. And that was a lot of fun. And I am looking forward to maximizing that time next year. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting back there 
for on Pub 8. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks so much for uh, sharing your thoughts, Graham. I really appreciate it. Of course. All right. All right. So we're being joined now by uh, James Myers. Hey, James. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. So, uh, as you know, we're here to talk about uh, Unpub 7 experiences. Uh, what was your Unpub like this year? Uh, my Unpub this year was absolutely fantastic. Last year was my first year, and it was really overwhelming, and I was in the middle of a whole bunch of big life changes. Right. Um, right. Which you can hear all about in episode 28. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, last year I was not at all unprepared. I was overwhelmed, and I happened to be at the edge of the room. Uh, this year, I went through exhaustive playtesting leading up to the event, and I took days off before and after the event, and I ended up dead center of the hall. So it was a completely different experience. So you got a lot more traffic this year? Absolutely. I ran playtests nonstop for 10 hours, no, 11 hours on Saturday and another uh, 8 on Sunday, and I'm pretty sure if I had had a voice left uh, I could have gotten another round in if I if I wow. invited people to sit down. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So, so what games did you take with you this year? Uh, so, I really only took one game to the table, and that was a game called The Library is Burning, okay. um, which is all about trying to save books from the Library of Alexandria as it is slowly catching on fire and burning down. It's a drafting game with a, a fairly apparently a fairly unique drafting system in which you have a, a spread of cards out on the table. And everybody takes one, and then the ones that are left determine what kind of progress you make. So you have the interesting trade-off of having... You can take a card that will get you a whole lot of progress, but you might get just as much progress, if not more, if you leave it out there. But then someone else might take it and get all the progress, and so there's a really interesting uh, push and pull. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, I think I played a very... A much different game, the earlier iteration of this, um, with... the uh, very unpronounceable name. <laughs> yes, yes, that name has been retired, and all of the mechanisms have been changed. And Never to be spoken for again. the better. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, was there anything this year? You said your experience was much better, and clearly your location helped. Was there anything else that you did differently in preparation for this year? That um, um, well, I mean, it, it really helped in all of the intensive playtesting that we had to build up to it. Uh, last year, I took. One game that was fairly done, and so while I playtested it quite a bit, I didn't get a whole lot of meaningful feedback. Um, and then I also took a game that was very new and wasn't ready. Right. Uh, and this year, I think I really found the sweet spot. I had a little bit better graphic design, just because I had more time to prepare. So I had a nice, colorful table. Um, all my cards were full of bright colors compared to the black and white that I had last year. And... It was square in the middle of what I'm calling significant but not major changes. So I was able to get some really good feedback, and so I'm making some some interesting changes and removing one of the the uh, one of the things that playtesters had an issue with, which looks really neat but is also pretty confusing. And so taking that away, I can still get uh, pretty much the same feel, but much simpler to learn and uh, a significantly reduced component count as a bonus. Okay. We actually have a question that came in over Twitter by Matt Knack, and he was asking, uh, what part of your game did you think would leave the biggest impression? And 
with your playtesters and did it. <laughs> so I don't know that it was basically what obviously left an impression on my playtesters was the drafting mechanism. The whole idea of leaving some out and you having that be what gives you progress. And so when I was designing it, I thought that was an interesting thing, but I didn't realize that it would stick in people's minds as much as it did. Because I'm, I've been going through the, the feedback forms, which I got 41 feedback forms wow. in from a single weekend of playtesting. That's um, amazing. Yeah, uh, it was compared to about, I don't want to say maybe 20 last year. So uh, there's the question, what was their favorite part of the game? And just comment after comment says, the drafting, the drafting, the drafting was great. Keep the drafting, I love the draft. And so apparently I hit on something that people find fascinating, and I'm so pleased. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great to get that validation that uh, you are on the right track with that particular mechanism. Uh, was there anything in there that specifically that you that people were like, okay, you, this has got to go, and that you're be making a change around? Um, I was surprised how much difficulty people had with what was the scoreboard. Basically, you rescued books, and then as you completed the books, you put a marker on what was essentially a, a bookshelf to represent where you had expertise. Um, and so it was a grid of uh, regions of knowledge and topics of knowledge. And to me, that made a lot of sense because I'm a very visual person. But a surprising number of playtesters had difficulty with it and didn't understand how it worked. And so while I really liked it, it was clear that for a lot of people, it just made it extra confusing. And so I'm very fortunate that in the changes that I've made in the last week or so, I've been able to keep that same feel without all of the visual confusion that people had. So how did you address that? So what I'm actually doing is the the board was used as a as a sort of engine building. Basically, the idea was as you finished a book, you put a token on that spot on the bookshelf, meaning you had expertise in that topic or that region of knowledge. And so anytime you did a uh, – you rescued a book from that area – because you had expertise, you did it faster. And so um, having cubes all over this bookshelf meant you were able to advance your cards faster. But you had to look at every row and every column to make sure that you had the right advancements. And so that amount of processing was really confusing people. And instead, what I've turned that into is basically a pile of tokens. So when you complete a card, you instead of putting a cube on a board, you take one of the matching tokens and put that in front of you. So instead of looking at the cards remaining in the draft and the scoreboard or the, the the bookshelf board and some miscellaneous tokens in front of you, you're now only looking at the cards left from the draft and tokens in front of you, which is much easier to process. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. Now that you've got two unpubs under your belt, uh, what sort of advice would you give to someone if they were going next year for the first time? Well, it's interesting because I have some advice that I haven't followed myself and sometimes I wish I could. <laughs> um, but a lot of the interaction at Unpub happens after the hall closes or at least after the official playtesting hours. I know a lot of folks who said their best hours for, for Unpub were between midnight and 4 a.m. And so if you can stay up and participate in those hours, you'll get a lot out of it. Uh, I could not because I was so exhausted from playtesting, but I wish I had been able to do so because it sounds like it was a lot of fun and, uh, a lot of uh, interesting things got thrown around in terms of you know, new game ideas and just kind of playing around a whole bunch of whole bunch of creative people to see what happens when they all get put in the same space late at night. 
Yeah, I, I've heard uh, a lot of the same stories, but I'm in a similar boat that I'm more of a more of a morning person. So I just all of my energy drains away. You know, it's like like I turn into a pumpkin at midnight. <laughs> it's time to go to bed. Yeah, I uh, I will admit to being a night owl, but being at a table for 11 hours straight and not having a break meant that at midnight I basically crashed. You know, right. got back to the hotel about 12:30 and just collapsed in bed. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you had a chance to look around or to play any other games, but did you get a chance to sample other people's designs? Um, I only got to kind of look around the hall uh, as I was at my table. Fortunately, I had a straightforward enough game that I set people on their way and then I was able to watch, but I was also able to kind of look around. I did get to play one other uh, game, uh, which was Fire in the Library by Tony Miller. Uh, the Sticking yeah, the library theme. For exactly. The there were yeah. out of all the out of all the designers, there were two Library of Alexandria themed games, and his is totally different from mine. But uh, definitely enjoyed it. He played mine. I played his. Uh, his is all about push your luck, which is one of my favorite mechanisms. So that was the only one I got to play. But it seemed like there were really interesting things going on in the hall with laminated sheets and dry erase markers uh whether that was roll and write i saw one game where people were drawing on um a piece of paper that looked like rocks and they were drawing essentially cave paintings oh uh, i heard about I this yeah, no yeah. idea what the game was about but i thought you know they were holding them up and pointing and gesturing and it looked really interesting and everybody seemed to be having a great time uh across the aisle from me it sounds like uh, Pictionary for Cavemen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really curious to see, you know, something published gets published a year or 18 months from now. I'll be like, oh, that's what that was. But yeah, it's like it's a trade-off because on one hand, I'd love to have been able to go play half a dozen of these other games that I heard about on Twitter. But just the sheer amount of feedback I got was was worth it. Right. Yeah, you have to prioritize that ahead of ahead of the fun. Sadly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's a it's it's not a small uh, effort to get there or expense. So we want to make the most out of it. Exactly. So, so uh, any other thoughts that you want to share before we uh, before we end our segment? I uh, I don't really think so. Um, I'm just looking forward to the rest of 2017 and having made contact with some folks at Unpub, and hopefully this will be the year that I can get a contract under my belt. And then uh, looking forward to uh, Unpub next year. Unpub 8, The Ocho. <laughs> the Ocho. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, uh, hopefully so. I hope, uh, I hope something comes to fruition for you soon. In the meantime, we'll keep on testing and, and uh, refining the designs. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, James. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Here we are with uh, Josh Mills. Hey, Josh, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. How about yourself? You doing good? I know you're doing good. Yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> so we're here to talk a little bit about your experiences this year at Unpub uh, up in Baltimore. So uh, how was it for you this year? Unpub Prime now, I guess is what they're calling it. I don't know, Unpub 7. I had a blast. I got to see, I think more so than any other year I've gone this year, I've just wanted to see people and hang out. It might also be because I have a seven-month-old brand new baby so you just needed <laughs> I didn't adult know. interaction yeah <laughs> i just needed human adult although you know i don't know if you could call some of these people adults uh, okay <laughs> mm, i needed large yeah <laughs> i needed large 
person interactions. <laughs> but yeah, I had a fan- I had a fantastic time just meeting up with everybody. I brought Backlot. I had Masters of Sound with me, and also Milkman with uh, some of the expansions. From this, this is uh, was this your third year? Is that right? Fourth. So the first one I ever went to. Oh, that's was, right. Okay. Yeah, it was in Dover, Delaware. And then the next one was the one in Baltimore, and then the next one in Baltimore, and then this one, so forth. Yeah, your first uh, one, you were kind of scoping things out, yeah. Yeah, I was just a playtester checking out um, different games and stuff, and that's where I met um, Jason Gatarski, but I didn't know who he, you know, I didn't know he would future publish my game, right? I just played right. one of his games and was like, this is awful, and then moved on. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then also, that's the first time I played at New Bedford was at that. And then that's when I – playing New Bedford was when I was like, oh, yeah, I need to start making board games because that's real good. <laughs> right. Then it sets you down the crazy path. Yeah. I should have never gone. <laughs> <laughs> from this year to the last, what things did you notice? What were the changes think, you noticed from past year? Yeah, year? this this year, I mean, you got to remember, like, I think there was a gigantic snowstorm in the Northeast. So it seemed like there was uh, it was less people. Maybe there's just more tables. But it was the right ratio of playtesters to people. I never was really needing people to come to my table. They were there, and I was doing the test. But it felt like a nice equilibrium between the two. Whereas last year, it got kind of slam-packed sometimes where people were like waiting at your table to go again. They definitely did the... You know, the free games and stuff they give away much better because it was just like run up and look on a board. and So that kind of stuff from a, from kind of a logistics point of view uh, worked out really well. Uh, everybody seemed like they were mostly at the, the day's end, which was nice. So running into people, you know, I ran into somebody at the airport. I ran into somebody at the hotel. I ran into somebody in the street. Like I couldn't even get my bags down before, <laughs> before <laughs> I was talking to somebody about game design. Uh, well, that that's an incredibly awesome problem to have. I tell you, <laughs> when you're just when you're like, I'm trying to go to Starbucks, and it is now 45 minutes into trying to walk two blocks because I keep talking to people. All right, if it's getting in the way of getting coffee, that's a problem. That's a real problem. <laughs> well, that's that's a little different. Right? <laughs> what things did you do differently this year for your designs uh, that you put on the table that you didn't do last year? What lessons did you learn and bring with you? Well, last year, I last year I just felt kind of like I, I wasn't taking advantage of Umpub as much as I should have been, uh, mostly because I was playing uh, Rocky Road on the mode. I was doing a lot more like business type stuff. So last year I met with you know the the artist and the publisher, and we were moving that forward. And I was playing the game and trying to do really slight adjustments, just make sure it's working with different crowds, which is which is good and you need to do that and I did that again this year with Milkman but I was at least testing you know you know expansion ideas or additions and that kind of thing but what I really like doing is taking a design that needs a little something extra or you want to like play with you know kind of where it's at and try to move it forward so I like playing in between like if I I'll play a play test really pay attention to what people are wanting to do and then try to introduce some kind of element that would allow them to do that, right? Even if it's going to break other things in the game, just to see if that's that's kind of the direction I should go. And with Backlot this year, which is my game about uh, filmmaking, uh, every playtest I added something different or changed some fundamental kind of movement rule, put in a tile and said, this is what they do now. And each test got better and better, and it, things resonated with people, which you can't really ask for more than that. So I was really happy with, with doing that. I... 
I like the big jumps you can get at Unpub. So I, I definitely, for even next year, I'm going to always try to take a design that's solid enough that you can play through, but not finished to the point where you can't play around a lot. So yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Backlot. Sounds like it's it's much it's much further along than the last time I saw it. So is this one where you have sort of like the core mechanisms sort of down and then you're tweaking it, or is it still even earlier in the design process than that? Oh no, like I, I took it to Metatopia as well. So it's it definitely has the core is there, right? But the different elements within like there's tiles, there's crew tiles, and I knew I wanted some other type of tile that would do something. So I started introducing just different kinds of tiles. Like I did, you know, I put uh, Oscar tiles in there. It was like, all right, whoever has the most of this is going to win the majority in the Oscars and win the award for this many points, right? So that adds kind of like a, you know, area majority kind of element. But you're giving up these other tiles that you would want. And then uh, there was, un- you would get negative points if you let film on the cutting room fuller, right? Just negative one point. Not not really a penalty. It's just something, you know, if you're more efficient, I wanted to reward you, so I did it this way. However, if you get, like, the DVD tile now, which is something I introduced in the third play test, then it flips it from negative one point to, you know, plus one point or plus two point. I don't, I don't know what the exact number should be, but I did plus one point. All right, so that's, so, that's as in, um, to like, the director's commentaries. I just straight to DVD type film. <laughs> Well, no, it's. I would say it's the extended version, right? Oh, okay. Like you're you're, ba- you're able to uh, use that footage now to your advantage. Okay. Uh, but the, those little tiny strategy things, right? So now, before when everybody was like, I don't. So everybody was really like, I never want to have film on the cutting room floor, right? So they would wait until they can move up the track that allowed them to film never how you know premiere however much that and that amount of film was. Because they didn't want to do it. Now what I've done is basically like if you do it, you can actually gain you can actually get more points, but you're also gonna have to sacrifice somewhere else at some other point to advance. It's it's just a tiny little decision that you could easily capture and play out through the game, but it gives you one of those one of those little meaty uh, I, I don't know the best way to describe it. It's like a nice little and a rim shot or some, you know, like right. in a song, like, Tish! like, oh, that was cool to do. But it's not in the core part of the game because the core part of the game, I'm, I'm, I feel really uh, good about. It sounds like you had a little bit more. Well, did you have a little bit more time this year to try other people's designs? And if so, are there any that stood out? I think last year I actually played more people's designs. But this year I I had a table, the full time table. And I would do a play test and then I would take like a, basically a break for 30 minutes or 45 minutes to go play somebody else's stuff. Yeah, I played quite a few of the button shy games. I played some stuff by Alex. What else did I play? I, I went and looked at a lot of people's games during play and just kind of asked questions because I knew I couldn't play, you know, like something TC had that was uh, two hours long. Like that's not going to happen, but I could at least go over there and kind of get a feel for. How it was, how it was going. I, of course, I stayed away from anybody in our group because I'm like, I can play your games later, and I do not care. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't want me to play your game. I don't want to play your game. We'll do that at the normal meeting. Why would I waste your time? Right. But I would try to check in with people every now and then. So yeah, I got I got a fair amount of just playing different stuff, and a lot of people actually wanted to come over to me and play 
Masters of Sound, even though I didn't really have it officially at Unpub, but because of the Cardboard Edison Award, they're like, oh, let's see it. And it's so short that I played that quite a few times, just not even at my table, just at other people's table. What additional advice uh, did you learn? Things did you learn this year that uh, you'd pass along to someone who was going for the first time next year as a designer? Uh, I think the biggest advice I would give you is talk to people. Designer day is probably the most valuable day to you from a what's going to benefit me six months from now or two weeks from now when I have a question or I need it, I need somebody's viewpoint or I need just something, you know, where I need to bounce ideas off of somebody. That's where you're going to get that kind of, you know, long term value. The play testing, you're going to get, you're going to get a lot of value from the play testers for your specific game at that point. Uh, you definitely want to make sure your game's in a state. You're either, it's in a state where you feel like you can test it. Uh, and not make a lot of changes, but still gain a lot of information, or you're willing to take something really early and do the work in between and make big adjustments. And, you know, you're going to fail with some of those play testers and you're going to have to just be like, all right, we don't have to finish this. We can just be done. But just have one of those two mindsets and then just go after it, right? If you're the type of designer who can kind of roll with the punches, then maybe you can take something a little bit earlier. I'm I'm starting to think more that a, a design that is a little it's further along and it's in sort of the not fine tuning but it's stable and you're just stable that, is yeah applying stable that additional is a good term. Poli- yeah that additional polish to really set it from being sort of a good design to being a great design trying to push it over that last hump yeah like seventy percent of it's there right yeah. but you're not you're you're willing to change big parts of it but you know you can always go back to that 70 percent if it just starts going real bad <laughs> yeah I, I will amend that i think yeah i was making it sound like it was f- further along but I, yeah i think the 70 to 80 percent range seems like a good place um, for design for unpub and i'll tell you what some of these prototypes now are looking real real pretty well that's um, that's an interesting <laughs> question i mean do um are you noticing that designers are really upping their game I think just in the industry in general, you have to step up your game, especially when you have public facing things, right? It's one thing to bring out a, a prototype that's like kind of, sh- you know, shoehorned together or, or, you know, with duct tape and whatever to designers. It's another one to get someone to come play your game that doesn't really know you or anything about it, right? You kind of need a little bit of presentation. It doesn't have to be great or pretty or gorgeous or it just needs to be welcoming. And of course there's going to be competition. There's only so many publishers. There's only so many games that come out and everybody wants, not everybody wants to be published, but you want people to play your game and take notice. So just like with anything, you start stepping up your game. If there's only four people in the science fair, you don't have to try too hard. If there's 400, you're probably going to have to do something more than a volcano. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Excellently put. Well put. Are there any other thoughts that you have that you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far? Um, I'll just say a couple of things about just the feedback I got. I really this year was trying just to pay to t- pay attention uh, to people in the moment when they're trying to make decisions and ask them what are they thinking, what do they want to do, what's their goal right now, and that gave me those answers, even though they were vague most of the time, really helped me hone in on those other elements I could add to to backlog specifically. Another and another thing with feedback is when you have something like Milkman, which I know is going to be published in a solid, and then playing around with uh, like uh, it's a butter expansion type thing, 
it's really helpful to have people that have played before, which luckily there were, because they could give me that comparison of like with it or without it, right? right. There's also people that hadn't played before, so they, they know no different. But I would like, you can you have them play a round or two and then introduce the new thing, and then they could give you the comparison of what they think about it. So those were both neat things. I had an actual filmmaker play my game, oh. and uh, one of the best, I wouldn't call this feedback, i call it a compliment, was that she was like, this makes me feel like filmmaking, like editing. And like putting together the movie, like my brain's doing the same thing. I was like, that's my only goal. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, that always validation. feels good. We're like, yeah. yeah, validation, which I wouldn't go looking for. Right. I'm not exactly somebody right. that needs, needs someone to stri- <laughs> but I'll take it. But you just say stepping up your game. I, I did a couple stupid things. I, <laughs> I brought a director's chair uh, to Umpub. with my that has my name on it. I've had it for like 20 years. And, so and I set you, that up. At, <laughs> you flew, right? Oh, I flew. Matt Matt brought it up because he's oh, nice. Oh, okay. Um, I was hoping that you had put it in the overhead compartment somehow. No, I sat on it in the plane. Oh, that would um, be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that. I yelled, action! Like, really loud every time I started a play test and cut <laughs> after the feedback. Like, not just kind of loud, like, really loud. And then for Milkman, I had, like, a nice cow tablecloth and stuff that I put down. So that was a lot. It's just a lot of fun to be thematic with what you're doing and have a good time with it and not... Not put too much pressure on yourself to to deliver anything or pitch anybody or any that kind of thing. And that certainly doesn't hurt um, drawing attention to your table and and have uh, potential playtesters stop and go, "What is going on over here?" No, yeah, a large bearded man yelling in a director's chair it tends to get people's attention. <laughs> it, it gets looks for sure. <laughs> it gets it gets looks. That's all I'm going to. Yeah, I don't know if it's looks. good or bad, but it gets looks. Thanks again for sharing your experiences, Josh. Where can people find you if they want to learn more it, about your great designs? Yeah, if you want to make fun of me uh, and what I've said here, <laughs> you can follow me at, at Joshua J. Mills. Or better yet, just send something to Matt Wolf and tell him to be mean to me because that, that will that will probably actually work. <laughs> at, at Matt Wolf with an E on the end of Wolf. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, the E. Oh, we got to talk about the E. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. All right, we're here with uh, Mark McGee. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing all right. <laughs> Smooth jazz. So uh, <laughs> we're here to talk a little bit about Unpub uh, from this year. So uh, what was your Unpub like this year? Well, this was my third year going. I, I went in with a different focus this year than I did in previous years, partly because I think I think partly because I had one of my designs was really far along in development. And so I, I kind of went in knowing that I don't go to a whole bunch of cons and I wanted to kind of treat it like a business thing. So I was, I was there primarily to, you know, get my gameplay, get in front of the right people, um, get a bunch of feedback. And then secondarily to that, I was trying to have fun at a game convention. So did you spend, uh, some of your time away from your table this year or did you spend most of it there and then like scheduled for people to come by and see your stuff? Yeah. I tried to be available at my table as much as possible. I wanted, yeah, I just wanted to get as many plays as I could. I got, it seemed like a dozen or more plays of my game over the weekend. But yeah, I, I didn't really take any breaks. Whenever somebody walked by, I would, you know, talk with them and see what they were interested in playing. Even reaching out to try to grab people to play the game, um, as opposed to just waiting for people to come by. Oh, and so what games did you take with you this year? Yeah, so the main game I took was Galaxy Alpha Team Number 1 Go. That's a I great that. name, by the way. I still, <laughs> love, I still, still laugh every time I hear that name. 
yeah, having uh, having written it down a whole lot of times, it does not get shorter the more you write it or the more you say it. <laughs> I bet not. <laughs> yeah, I, I took that one as my main table game um, because yeah, it was pretty far along in development. I took I took a smaller game, Kintsugi, but not really to play as one of my main things. I just wanted to get a couple people's eyes on it and uh, to get some opinions on that game. Um, right. But yeah, mostly it was Galaxy Alpha Team number one go. All right. So how was that uh, received by the playtesters? You get some good feedback? Yeah, I did get some feedback. There, One of the things that I try to do with that game <clears throat> is I try to make it a game about teamwork. And it's not so much like a game about you do an action that has a name and the, the action's name is teamwork. It's where the actual decisions that you're making are um, the way to win the game is to consider the other players and to think about how you can share things and do things that are best for them and things that are best for you so everybody can mutually benefit. And with that as my goal, one of the things I was looking for in feedback was how close to that feeling did I get. And so many of my playtest questions that I was asking were, were around that idea. And I was glad to hear that a lot of people, their favorite thing about the game was, yeah, like sharing powers or, you know, my dice, it's better for someone else to use my dice as opposed to just me doing all my stuff on my own. So a lot of the, the teamwork aspects of it being people's favorite things about it, that was that was really good uh, stuff to hear. That's Yeah, that's always good to hear that the, what you're going for seems to be resonating with the people who are playing it. Did you get any feedback that surprised you about the game? One thing that stood out a lot was, and this is a feedback maybe that I had known before, but, but sometimes forget it. Someone had said, in slightly different words, but I'll just summarize it. If there's something about the game that does not make the core decisions better, so look at your core decisions and look at all the other stuff that's in there that is not specifically your core decisions. If there are things in there that are not supporting your core decisions or making them better, either they have to be so easy to remember that you can you know, explain them in like a sentence or two and then nobody will ever forget them because they're easy, or they probably need to be removed from the game. And so using that using that kind of filter, I was able to, you know, find some some rules that that maybe were not necessary for the experience. So a lot of the stuff I was trying out was what could I remove to just to make it easier to play and keeping the core decisions intact and maybe even enhancing them by removing other things that are not even worth having in the game. How did you zero in on those? Just watching how the players were approaching the different decisions or was was that from actual words and feedback from them a lot of it a lot of it was whenever someone would ask a question in the game um like a a rules clarification or hey what happens when this happens thinking about that and and considering oh is that a question about you know the core decisions or is that a question that is just clarifying something because it doesn't happen enough to to be memorable and is it just like extra confusion that's not really making anything better? So yeah, whenever someone would ask questions, you know, I would I would kind of jot down that they had a question about this, and then I would kind of see what part of the game that question was trying to clarify. And like sometimes I had like some subsystems inside the greater system, um, and some of the subsystems like you're fighting a giant evil alien mothership, and one of the things I had in there was special condition handling for if you split the mothership in half, and that was right. something that that sometimes happened, maybe it would happen once every two games, and uh, the ruling for it, it wasn't complicated to do, but it happened rare enough that you're not going to remember it, and so whenever it happens, you might have to flip through the rule book to see what happens when you split the mothership in half, and that's something that since splitting the mothership in half is not one of the core interactions in the game, 
um, something that makes you have to go back and look up what happens when we split the mothership in half um, was just too much for the benefit that it had. So one of the things I try to do is if you split it in half, just slide it back together. And that's like easy enough to remember that you can't, I mean, you can't forget it. Like now that I said it, anybody who hears this, they'll know, hey, when you, when it's split it in half, slide it back together. It's easy and obvious. Yeah. And perfectly thematic because everyone knows when mothership <laughs> split. They just go right back together. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I, I heard that from this year was that the table presence of a lot of games was seemed like it maybe was ramped up a little bit. Did you find it easier or more difficult this year to get people to sit down at your table? Yeah, you know, I was I was also thinking about um, the table presence of other games, but because my game was far enough along in its development, I was able to put a little bit of extra time into. Uh, I guess the presentation and the table presence and, and just the whole, the way that it was set up and my pitch and the way it looked, um, because I knew that there weren't going to be major things that changed. It was going to be like smaller scale things that would change. And since I was able to put that kind of time into it beforehand, I was one of the people who had a lot more, you know, nice table presence. You know, I had, you know, I had signs that had like crazy, spaceships and stuff on it <laughs> things like that um right so yes yeah, so, so i was one of those people <laughs> okay good uh, yeah so Just that curious. it did pan out because i remember last year i actually had this same game at unpub last year and it was i had written on pen on white blank cards and that was the game right um, yeah so having the same game except for this time uh cards with better, better production quality and just better table presence altogether. there is a significant difference nobody would look at my game and be like oh that's just scribbles on some card they would look at it and be like oh hey that's a game that maybe looks interesting i i did not have any problem getting people to stop in and play the game thinking back on the games that were around you and uh, did you see any that were particularly interesting to you or did you get a chance to play any while you were there yeah i didn't get a, a i didn't get much of a chance to play other people's games partly because of you know my decision to go in there and treat it like you know working the convention instead of going there for fun so i i played a few people's games in after hours or maybe you know the the designer day before the actual event but that wasn't nearly as many other people's games as i played last year so are there any other things about about unpub this year that you uh like to share or stand out to you one of one of the other things that is not is not easy to apply to other people but i think even my my personal development i was able to introduce myself to other people and, you know, meet people that I've never talked to before and just kind of present myself in my game better than I have previously. So even just from a personal development standpoint, I feel like I was better prepared and better able to take advantage of the opportunities at Unpub than I would have been previously, which is not so much a, a pro or con about Unpub itself, but it was definitely something that drastically impacted my experience of Unpub. The people there tend to, the designers that go, they really generous people but sometimes you know have to step up and introduce yourself because there's just so much else going on it's not that they don't want to talk to you it's just that they're just the tensions are pulled so many different directions yeah right, thanks mark i really appreciate your time yeah no problem all right here we are with uh, matt wolf how you doing matt i'm doing well thanks for having me bert well, it's kind of odd being on this side, kind of flipping <laughs> things around. But uh, you're, sure is. you're always welcome to the Game Designers of North Carolina <laughs> podcast. I'd love to have you on. <laughs> oh, I feel the love. <laughs> so um, 
We're here to talk about uh, Unpub and the kind of things that everyone saw while they were there this year. So um, what was your Unpub like this year? Uh, largely positive. Uh, going to Unpub each year is always a really great time, if for no other reason than you just get to uh, you know, see people you don't get to see very often, see friends you've made over the years, meet new people that you haven't met before. And, and, you know, who knows, they could be your new, your new, uh, BFF. Uh, and, and yeah, so it's, it is always a, a good time to go. So who was your design crush this year then? I guess if you found a new BFF. Oh, I didn't say I did. I was just saying, oh, in, okay. theory, in theory, uh, I could. Okay. Uh, now, I, I I usually don't get a lot of chance to like play test other people's stuff or, or anything like that. I really wish I did. I, I I did have a few opportunities and you know play te- play tested a couple uh, games that that weren't mine and weren't like someone from the group or something like that. But uh, yeah, I I can never spend as much time as I would like uh, <laughs> doing that kind of stuff. What designs did you settle on for this year? Um, so I took 13th Floor, which is a little push-your-luck card game about uh, building towers. I took uh, Holiday Horror, which is a, a card-drafting game based on uh, the lots of holiday folklore from around the globe, uh, some nice, some uh, not nice at all. They will, they will, they will hurt you pretty good. And I also had uh, split the loot, which I ha- also had an unpub six, uh, but this version is very, very different from the uh, the previous version. And so, yeah, those, those are the three that I took this year. So, tell me about your experiences with, say, testing thirteenth um, floor. Uh, so, so thirteenth floor, I, I felt really good about that one going into unpub. It it wasn't super old. Uh, it was sort of a descendant of a previous design that was called Triskaidekaphobia and was a trick-taking game, and and that that one wasn't working out for uh, various reasons. But um, the, this was like my descendant idea of that game, uh, still based around trying to avoid the number thirteen. And I had a lot of people uh, say they really enjoyed it, and a lot of people that you know just gave really great feedback. Uh, but I also had, uh, or rather found out that there's kind of a fundamental flaw in it, uh, that just basically pushing your luck is not punishing enough. It, and it turns out that's always the correct thing to do is push your luck as, as hard as possible. So, so that was a really, really good thing to find out, uh, of course, uh, cause you, you know, you need to find those things out. Uh, but I won't lie. It was a little disheartening, uh, simply because, you know, you, you think something is, is close to being done, and then it turns out that, no, uh, <laughs> you got to sort of take a couple steps back and go back to the drawing board a bit. So so that one, that's why I say that uh, it's a little bit of a mixed bag on that one. I just didn't do a good enough job self-scouting and to be able to kind of find those flaws before uh, playtesters did. Yeah, well, that's one of the services that playtesters provide is helping you get past the, your own blind spot. Yeah, it, it's it's very true. And, and so now I'm trying to figure out exactly <laughs> what I'm going to do about those issues. Right. And the good news is that the people that provided feedback, uh, like I said, it was largely very positive and actually has fours across the board in all the unpub feedback scores, you know, four out of five. So, so that's encouraging. If I can 
figure out exactly how to modify it to prevent, you know, always pushing your luck being the always the right decision, uh, then it looks like it's something that uh, might have some legs. So what about Holiday Horror? Did it get a similar treatment? Yeah, so so Holiday Horror, that one that one is interesting because it really wasn't that old when I took it to Unpub and I knew that it was uh in a much more rougher condition. And but I, I always like to take a design or you know, I, I always take two designs. This year it happened to be three, but at least two. And I try to have one that feels pretty close to done, and I try to have one that's a little rougher. And I like to be able to, uh, um, A, if the one that's rough is, is, winds up being too rough, uh, then I can just, you know, put it in the box and focus on the other game that, I, that seems to be a little bit closer. If it turns out that even though it's rough, that it still has a lot of potential and people aren't finding anything that's just obviously broken, then, I, you know, feel like it'll make a, usually a pretty good leap at, at Unpub in terms of, you know, solidifying the uh, design. So Holiday Horror was my, my rough game, not very old. In fact, I was so worried about it that Thursday night, my wife Marcy and I played at, uh, the Days Inn where we're, where most of the designers were staying. We played on the, the pub table, the one table <laughs> that they have in the, uh, the lobby area of the Days Inn. And this game is gigantic on the table. It just spreads out because uh, of all the cards in it. And we're, we're playtesting it and just making sure that there wasn't anything that was going to be a huge problem and actually had to modify two uh, small rules on the fly uh, that realized almost right away, yep, okay, that's not going to work like that. And we had a lot of people that were walking by yeah, just like noticing it and, and seeing, you know, look, taking a look at what it was and asking lots of questions. And like Zev, uh, he popped by and was just like, oh, what's this? And Daniel Peterson from Mayday. And so that was, that was really fun, including a, some, some quite inebriated woman who walked over from the bar and just did not, like, I she couldn't quite comprehend, like, what it was. And like a, a card game? people play those anyway uh so 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 it was very rough and i knew it and then i found out uh on actually on uh sunday that it it has a lot more issues than i realized it was sort of similar to 13th floor except in holiday horror is way more systemic uh than than the issues with uh, 13th floor so holiday horror is going to need a lot of work before it's going to be ready to to bring out again and uh, I'm still kind of processing on, on what that work is going to be. Uh, I got probably the best feedback in general. People like kind of really dug the theme uh, just because it is kind of funny. And and that's that was actually one of the the issues that uh, I, I kind of baked into the the game is that right now the humor in the game kind of papers over a lot of the issues. So it, so it's tough to look past. And so I, I I'm gonna take out all the humorous elements and make it like purposely abstract uh, while I'm testing. And, and so we can focus on the mechanisms in the game to make sure those are really locked down before going back and then re adding the, uh, the theme in. Um, and so, so that one was, yeah, you know, it, I knew it was rough, but it's still, again, you know, not a, not a great feeling to find out that it's so systemically, uh, flawed in the in the core concept that right. you know you got to take a couple steps back to to fix it. 
But at least you've got a path forward with it, which is good. I think I do. We'll find well, out. <laughs> we'll say an approach. You know, you, you know, yeah. come back, try to get some of the distraction out of the way so you can see to the core issues. So right. uh, did you notice any uh, other unusual trends this year amongst other designers when the very few minutes you had maybe going to get a bo- <laughs> to refill your water bottle? <laughs> well, I'm sure other people probably mentioned it, but it was Roll and Write City at uh, Unpub 7 this year. I, I swear, like every third table, someone had a Roll and Write game. Um, with which is cool because I like roll and write games, but I mean at this point, even if I had an idea for a roll and write game, I don't know that I would try to pursue it because I feel like there's going to be a bazillion of them coming out. Sort of like when there was the micro game uh, explosion like two years ago. You know, if if you started working on a micro game at that time, I th- I think you would probably have had a really difficult time to get that published because you're just after the wave. And and I, so I'm thinking in you know the rest of 2017 and 2018, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a flood of roll and write games that are that are going to come, and I'll I'll enjoy playing them. But I think unless I got you know unless I would have had something already in the works, uh, the, I suspect it's going to be hard to to get something uh, picked up. I might be wrong about that, and we'll we'll see how it goes. But yeah, it was that was definitely the uh, the leading trend, right. and I think the the only other trend that I saw was. I don't know how I'd put it, but designs that had really unique table presence. Uh, you had uh, uh, Nyctophobia, which was like a blindfolded game, and you know all the players play blindfolded, and and that had a you know very uh, tactile experience. And you had uh, I can't remember the name of it. We'll have to Pris- look it up. It was the the game delight. Yes, with the the three tiered cake. You know, a 3D three-tiered cake on the table. That was crazy. Yeah. And apparently it's it's really fun and really good. I, I didn't get a chance to play it. But there were a couple games like that that just had really, I would say, crazy table uh, presence. But with games like uh, Cold Express or uh, Hop or uh, Yeti, all these games that are having like these relatively intricate 3D table presence now uh it's not that crazy anymore to have have designs like that so it was neat to see those things it's almost like the return of mousetrap except you know except a game yeah yeah except except for that but uh, those two (laughs) games have have been mentioned a couple times in uh, other interviews that i've done the other members of uh of our guild so they definitely made an impression on us for sure so we'll see if we see more of those types of games coming up in the future i suspect we probably will yeah it'll be interesting to see yeah. Uh, any other thoughts that you want to pass along with your time at all? Oh, uh, just that, uh, yeah, you know, if people are going to go, uh, just, just uh, you know, don't try not to stress about it too much. Go and, and have fun and, you know, get, get out, meet people, talk to people. And, and yeah, it's uh, it's always a good time. And if, if you're the shy type, maybe go as a just a play tester and kind of get the lay of the land and, and then – uh, you can sort of make your plan for the subsequent year like that. I, I know that they are, uh, Unpub 8 is, uh, I think in April next year or I forget the, uh, the exact time, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something if you have any interest and, and you have the ability, uh, to go, should definitely try to go, even if you just go as a, a as a play tester. There would probably still be opportunity to snag a table. Uh, for a couple hours at the very least, if you uh, did want to try to get something play tested. Yeah. I mean, most of the people there 
are very generous with their time. So if they have a uh, have a minute, they're usually will, willing to to listen to what your you know your idea or even give it a, a quick try. Yep, absolutely. Well, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for doing all the interviews. Oh, my pleasure. It's been fun to uh, to find out about all the cool stuff I missed. Hopefully, you'll see it next year. Yeah, definitely. And finally, we have a little bit of news to share with you before we wrap this up. First item is Daniel Solis' game Trickster Champions of Time, which is published by Action Phase Games, has been sent to the printer and it's being manufactured. Uh, no release date yet, but if you uh, stay tuned in here, we'll let you know as soon as we get a, f- a firm date on that from Daniel and from Action Phase Games. Also, we'd like to congratulate Josh Mills, for having his game Masters of Sound be selected as a 2017 Cardboard Edison Award finalist. Congratulations, Josh. That's awesome. And finally, on uh, Saturday, April 29th, uh, we're going to be sponsoring an Unpub Mini at Atomic Empire in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, the event will start at 1 p.m. and run until 8 p.m. Uh, if you're in Durham or in the area around the 29th, please come by and help us play test some games. To discuss this episode, please go to our Board Game Geek Guild. Go to podcasts.gdofnc.com, and that will redirect you to our guild on BGG. All feedback is welcome. We also have a group Twitter account you can follow, at GDofNC, which of course stands for Game Designers of North Carolina. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. Thank you for listening.